0: welcome 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 housers to another episode of on the way home i am your host michael braithwaite from blue door Matt, lots going on right now in canada around housing we just recently had an announcement that the government is going to forego the gst or return the gst to builders of rental housing uh, in the future hopefully much of that affordable uh, many of the provinces hopefully will step up and match that so we'll have uh, tax-free building which we think will have uh will result in uh, hundreds of thousands of new builds moving forward. So that's exciting news and hopefully more announcements to come. Uh, I love this podcast. I learn so much each week. I hope you do as well. The podcast is brought to you by my wonderful organization, Blue Door. Uh, Blue Door's organization just north of Toronto operating in Uh, York region, in Peel region, and Durham region, and we support our most vulnerable in the areas of affordable supportive housing of all types, emergency, transitional, longer term. Uh, We support 2SLGBTQ plus youth with transitional and affordable housing. We have a construction social enterprise called Construct that helps put people into the trades where they make uh, $33 an hour or up to, I should say, that's the top end, uh, coincidentally, what you need to afford a one-bedroom apartment in the GTA. Also puts people on the trades to help build the housing we need. Brings in revenue to Blue Door to build the housing that we need. Um, and, listen, puts people on the right path. Pulls them out of poverty and prevents them from experiencing homelessness. Very cool. That and much, much more across the region. We also do this in partnership with our great friends at the Canadian Alliance to Homelessness. And they are an incredible national organization, doing great advocacy work. Uh, You know, a lot of what's happening right now with government decisions and bringing people together and, you know, it's because the Canadian Alliance has pulled people together, made it easy for us to approach politicians and uh, all levels of government to push them on all things housing and homelessness. They run a massive conference in November. Uh, This year it's going to be in Halifax where they bring thousands of people from across Canada and around the world together to hear some wonderful things from experts, uh, from government, from researchers, from lived experts. Uh, it's an incredible conference. And if you want to be a Built for Zero community, they do all sorts of training. Check them out at caeh.ca to see all the wonderful things they're doing. Or go to bluedoor.ca to see all the wonderful things happening with my team at Bluedoor. We have a great guest today. Uh, this is an international podcast. We have to say that because, you know, listen, for in the in most cases with different countries around the world, when it comes to housing and homelessness, we're more alike than we are different. And today we have uh Robert Pradelin from Australia. This is someone who was, you know, in the the corporate side, the developing commercial side of things, uh, witnessed homelessness, was talking with his daughter, and really lived by that statement. You know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Many of us say someone should do something about it, our government should do something about it. Robert. Took that to heart and said, I'm not going to put this on government. I'm going to see if the private sector can step up. And he talks about that economic argument is, you know, how much does it cost to do nothing? We've talked about that on the podcast before, you know, on our healthcare system, our legal system, our housing system, all those costs of doing nothing versus doing something. There actually it's an economic argument to say our economy is much, much better when everyone can, has a safe place and affordable place to call home. Uh, and so Robert has some really cool programs that he's running through a organization called Housing All Australians. They're doing different things there uh, where they're looking at vacant properties, make, working with the private sector, pro bono to get them ready, turning those buildings while they're vacant over to a nonprofit who then houses uh, their um their clients in that house for maybe five to 10 years or however long that's vacant, um, you know, just doing great work. There's another piece right now. They, they're doing a housing uh, register for Australia that they just released actually today as we record this. And it's all stuff that's transferable to Canada or other parts of the world. Uh, so, so interesting to hear what's happening in Australia, the solutions they're tackling their housing crisis that's very similar to Canada, how they're going about doing that. Uh, and much, much more. It's a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's go to that now. Robert, so excited to have you from the other side of the world join us on today's podcast. Thanks for making the time. It's a pleasure, Michael. We ask every guest that comes on the show, even those from a different continent, the same question, because it's a little different for everyone with some similarities, and that is, what does home
1: mean to you? (laughs) Well, home is a very interesting word because I think we all have our definitions, but when it comes down to the fundamental nature of it, it's a safe place where you can reside at night, have your family around you, um, care for each other, have a bit of fun, and then move on to uh, doing productive things for society. So it's just a fundamental thing that all human beings must have. Otherwise, we have unintended human consequences, and I'm sure we'll touch upon that in this interview today.
0: Absolutely, well said. Well, let's. We always want to get to know our guests a little bit, um, and so
1: tell me a little bit about your journey into the work you're doing now. Well, I'm actually a capitalist. I'm actually a property developer, but even if you're a capitalist, it doesn't mean you don't care about vulnerable people. And while I was working as a developer, I was developing housing, land, apartments, the whole cross section of of dwellings, you know, thousands of them really. But while I was actually developing that and selling it to the private sector, like most Australians and probably most Canadians, we assumed that our governments were looking after the most vulnerable in our community. And I discovered that they weren't. And that actually shocked me because I was in the industry. So that led me on a bit of a quest, a learning quest with some universities and the whole housing which is a conversation with my daughter. We were sitting um, opposite Melbourne's Icon, which is Flinders Street Station. It represents Melbourne in those postcards. And beneath it were people sleeping rough. And a few days earlier, there was a news story about how a grand hall that actually exists above that train station It sat empty for decades and uh, a homeless guy came up and asked us for some money. And uh, we started and we gave him some coins, but we started a conversation after that. And I said to my daughter, I wonder how many buildings in Melbourne are empty? And so we started working with the local council, the city of Melbourne and a not-for-profit group called Launch Housing that looks after homeless people and um, trying to find a building to refurbish just to get people out of the cold. And uh, then I had a phone call from the council to say, the ABC, which is um, Australia's sort of um, ABC Broadcasting Corporations, likes likes the story. So I rang the journalist back and said, look, we're, um, we are we haven't actually found the building yet. And he said, don't worry, we can pretend that our building that we are headquartered in, which was going under refurbishment, we can pretend that's one of your empty buildings. So I was on the, news of the radio the next day, and I started to get phone calls from everybody, from very wealthy families to a homeless guy that found me on LinkedIn. And they all said the same thing. We know we've got a problem. Just tell us what you do, what what, what we can do. And that started the whole Housing All Australians journey. So, um, yeah, from development to now looking at how housing and homelessness is an economic issue for our country as well as a social one.
0: Yeah, I love... The fact that you're saying that as well, I think some people uh, don't understand it from the economic point of view. But also, you know what? A lot of people will see it, see something uh, happening and say someone should do something about it. But in this case, in fact, you did something about it. You, you turned that around. So tell me a little bit more about Housing All Australia, uh, Australians. Um, I see how it came about, but what,
1: what is this purpose and mission? Well, Housing All Australians is a private sector initiative looking at housing and its connection to homelessness through an economic lens. And you just touched on something that I did nearly say the same thing. In fact, one of the um, one of the instigators was uh, I found out that women over 50 were the fastest growing co-homeless in Australia. And I was shocked, absolutely shocked. And then initially I said to myself that, you know, government should do something about it. And then I thought, well, maybe if I start, maybe if I start something rather than just talk about it, maybe there are lot of business people out there that might come and join me, a few of them maybe. I'm absolutely overwhelmed by the degree of concern in the corporate sector about vulnerable Australians. And what Housing All Australians is morphing into is an an organisation where value-aligned organisations can come and actually contribute their skills or services through someone that talks their language. Because the language between the not-for-profit sector and the private sector is very different. So Housing All Australians are value-aligned corporates and individuals that want to make a difference. They do care. And business actually is not a bad thing. Uh, Unfortunately, in Australia, I'm not sure where the, the same perceptions exist in Canada, but business is all... Um, around being greedy. This is the perception. And they don't care about community. Well, it's it's further from the truth. And we have millions of dollars worth of goods and services donated to some of these refurbishments that we're doing, which I'm happy to talk about, where we can actually refurbish existing buildings that sit empty. And then we hand it over to a not-for-profit to do the hard, hard stuff, which is the people stuff. Because in Australia, it's taken 30 years to get to... And it's going to take us at least 30 years to get out if we're serious. So this is a huge economic issue for our country.
0: Absolutely. Now I'm wondering if you got, but if you've received much pushback? Because absolutely, to your point, sometimes uh, in our country, what happens when the private sector and, and as of late, the private sector has got involved? They worked with uh, with the non for profit sector to put together a housing accord, which they put forward to government. Um, and private sector has to play a huge role in ending homelessness, but there has been some pushback saying, hey, listen, at the end of the day, you know, you're know, you still looking at profit. Have you felt
1: any of that pushback at all? And, and what are your thoughts around that? Absolutely. And look, you always get pushback back to profit from the people that sort of lean to the left. But if you think of it really, if you take a step back and think of profit, profit's actually a good thing because one, it makes the business sustainable so they can do some good things as well. To me, profit means that you're using society's resources efficiently. Everything in society has been has got a price to it that society's given it. So, a feasibility study, which which emanates to a profit, said says to me, you are using those resources efficiently. If you don't make a profit, in fact, if you lose money, it's an inefficient use of community resources. So, to me, making a profit is a good thing. Even not-for-profits actually make a profit, they just put it back into the enterprise. So we need to start to reposition ourselves as business people and organisations say we do care. And in fact, um, Michael, I actually say publicly that this housing crisis that we have in Australia is not a housing crisis for government to solve. It's one for us to collectively solve. It is too big for our government to solve alone. And unless we, the business community, are part of the solution and truly collaborate with all of it, we will never solve this housing crisis and we'll leave an economic and social time bomb for our grandchildren to have to manage. And to me, once you find out these things and learn about what you didn't know, it's inevitable not to try and do something. I love that. I love that.
0: You talked about some of the, your examples. Can you talk about one of some of your projects, some of the things that have happened, what you've
1: done and what the results have been?
0: Sure. There's there's a
1: few things we're doing. We've, we've got a one-page strategy because simplicity to me is the way to actually solve this. Um, and it's got a few pillars. One is let's utilize the existing buildings that are lying empty, waiting for the next development cycle and use them to actually house people. And we'll come back to that. Then we did a series of economic reports, which we now call the Give Me Shelter series of reports, where we quantify the economic cost to a future Australia of not providing the housing we need. Then, and we actually we've launched this today, our our affordable housing model with a private sector lens, which unlocks private sector capital, not government, to drive affordable housing through collaboration. There are three main pillars that I wouldn't mind touching on, but the first one is this, this one about using empty buildings. When I was on radio and TV, um, someone that knew me rang up and said, we've just developed um, a new aged care facility. So we've decanted everyone into the new facility, but the old one is sitting empty and it's 52 rooms. So with the support of Metricon, who is a large home builder in Australia, we refurbished 32 rooms of those 52. And we gave it to the YWCA to help women over 55, which were the fastest growing. When I learned about that fact, four years at no capital cost to government. We now have another major builder coming in. Um, in fact, as of next week, and doing the other 20 rooms pro bono. We've got an- over 150 rooms under refurbishment or finished in Australia, both in two cities, Perth and And Melbourne, yet we are established nationally. And it's all done through the goodwill of the private sector. We don't need government to actually help us. We just wanna get the private sector to do a little bit each, but collectively we do a lot. And with the not-for-profit sector, we actually help them take people off the street. So it's just utilizing our skills in the way that we can maximize value.
0: or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Let me ask you about the model. So there's a program I actually was uh, was part of starting it with a group called a national group in Canada called Raising the Roof. It is a charity uh, where they actually look for vacant similar, but they look for vacant buildings uh, either through government. They get them donated through development communities through different ways. They might even purchase at some point. They take that vacant building, usually in really bad shape. They actually bring in, and this is a maybe an idea you want to take. Sometimes they bring in uh, a construction social enterprise that does the actual work on it. And so those people are helping people get into the trades and uh, get them out of homelessness, right? Because you need people to build buildings. Uh, And then they hand it over like you do to a nonprofit. But the difference is that nonprofit, the, the building remains part of raising the roof. That nonprofit has a lease where they're paying 30% Thirty uh, percent of their household income, usually, uh, to raising the roof. Whatever organization, and they put whoever they want in, it and they manage that building. How does do, do you actually hand the physical asset over, and that's done, or how does it all work?
1: Well, it's, it's done because the building's going to be reused and repurposed later. We broker a five, roughly a five year lease for a peppercorn rent because the building's going to be sitting there vacant anyhow. So let's do it for a five year peppercorn rent. We refurbish it, hand it over for five years for the not for profit. So this is a short-term solution. It's not a long-term solution. We have to build hundreds of thousands of homes to actually take people off the street. But we have something similar to social enterprises in construction too. And yes, 30% of someone's income is is what the not-for-profit sector, the community housing providers do. But that probably moves me on to the other point about this affordable housing uh, register that we've launched today in Australia. And that's with a public company called PEXA. And what that register does, it enables a recording by local government of all the affordable housing commitments. And through this register, not only can local government have transparency over the um, investment in affordable housing, but because the register exists, the developer can then package up an affordable home at let's say 70% of market rent, put a restriction on title for that effect to stay for at least a period of 30 years, then the developer can actually sell it to their mum and dad investor base. And it will always be able to be monitored on the register to ensure that all all stakeholders comply with what their obligations are. The tenant has to be a a conforming tenant to certain income obligations. The the rent has to be at at a percentage below market rent that's agreed. And the tenure is at least 30 years. This unlocks private sector capital to drive affordable housing. And I think it's a game changer in this country.
0: Absolutely. I, I think so. And Why do you think it hasn't been done in the past, Robert? You know, what has held people back?
1: Sometimes the simple things are, are, are sometimes always overlooked. But let's face it, technology has been advancing quite quickly. Um, the local government that negotiates some of the agreements have been keeping, keeping them on So people have different spreadsheets. But once they they retire, unless someone remembers where the spreadsheets are, people forget about these obligations. So this register is on for in perpetuity. It will actually monitor compliance of all stakeholders and notify local government if it detects non-compliance. So it's management light. And it could be actually um, the income bans that every local government might have something slightly different the income bands are respected to the local government area as to who they want to attract in terms of essential workers. So it is quite flexible.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, being in the news and being in the headlines doing that, but also you've uh, inspired a film, I believe that Margot Robbie actually narrated. Can you tell us a little bit about this film?
1: Yeah, yeah. Initially, I inspired the film I was, but I was part of it and I played a small part in it. But uh, what it is, it's a film... Um, identifying lives of um, women over 50 and how um expect lives to be totally different and not ending up being homeless. And it's quite a moving film because the women that are in the film could be your mother, your sister, your daughter or someone that you know, because they are quite normal looking and I don't use it in any other term other than say it could be any one of us. And that uh, was screened at the Melbourne International Film Festival last year It was on the ABC this year, yes. Margot Robbie did narrate it, and I think that's a great thing because hopefully more younger women can see that to make sure that they don't end up in that um, case. But we're now using that dominant corporates to say, this is what is happening in our country. I wasn't aware of that. Are you aware of that? And if you're not, this is actually the, the situation. And given that we are considered to be a lucky country, is this the legacy that we want to leave our future generations? And the answer at the end of it is always no. So what are we going to do about it? And that's really our call to action to corporate Australia.
0: Amazing. And yeah, such a great use of film as a medium to make change happen. Uh, very, very cool. You've talked a little bit about um, older women being the fastest growing uh group that's experiencing homelessness in Australia. Can you paint a little bit of a picture of what's happening across the country right now in terms of housing and homelessness for maybe our uh, Canadian or uh,
1: North American listeners? Well, it's, it's, I think we're very similar, I'm, but I must admit I, I'm not on top of the um, Canadian housing uh, landscape as much as I am in Australia. But the women over 50, a lot of divorces, no superannuation, they find themselves homeless at 50, 60, 70 years of age. But the more broader picture about homelessness in this country is that we it's now extending to not only the homeless side. See, I see homelessness as the canary in the coal mine to a much broader issue in our housing continuum. Because at the end of the day, if you don't provide enough housing, people are gonna continually drop into homelessness. And that's why we have to go upstream and supply what I call the non-market housing and supply that to stop homelessness actually happening. But getting back to your question, We've got a housing crisis that's now affect business. Business cannot find key workers close to where they need them to work to serve society because the housing rental is so expensive. No one's prepared to drive that distance to where they need the work. And therefore there's a worker shortage on top of that. Australia has an immigration policy where we're trying to attract skilled immigrants and there's a target that the federal government set of 300,000 plus in the next couple of years. Well, if we're gonna do any more housing, to be quite blunt, being a developer, it's gonna take f- at least five years for any additional housing to come on the market if they decide to do it as of today. So if, you think that, if we think the housing crisis is bad now in Australia, you wait till three years while these uh, essential workers come in, which we do need. We cannot turn on a tap and produce housing. In my view, homelessness is gonna go through the roof. This is now a national issue. The politicians are trying to find a quick solution. There is no quick solution to creating housing supply. It's a 30 year strategy. There's gonna be a lot more pain in our society, which is why we have to find other new solutions to try and as a pressure relief valve while we build these houses. And I think this is endemic of the Western world. We need to relook at how we've actually structured our societies to make sure that we're not polarizing them because if we let it to continue on its current trajectory at some point in time we will have civil unrest and that is in no one's self-interest now everything
0: you're saying there applies to our country right now it's in the headlines our federal uh, the party that leads us federally is, is feeling huge pressure we had our first national housing strategy in 2017. uh some big steps not big enough because we're feeling that crunch Right now in our major cities of Toronto, Vancouver, you need a average household income of $100,000 to afford a one bedroom apartment or $33 an hour is the wage you need to make uh, and, and you know, Uh, individuals on social assistance, government assistance, will have about $720 a month, uh, or if they're disabled, about $1,200 a month, uh, and your average monthly rent is is over $2,300 a month. So huge gaps, huge challenges. We need 3 million homes in the next 10 years, uh, and and we are not producing anywhere uh, near the number of homes each year to do that. We are making steps. So similar to, and I know as well, Australia has uh, not, uh, their Indigenous people as well, are facing a huge housing crisis in Canada here as well. Uh, all the disservice we've done to our Indigenous peoples. Uh, and and we are, we've are we worked on a separate strategy for Indigenous housing. Still lots of funding and work to go uh, on that as well. And I know similar in Australia. So I think we can borrow much of what you're talking about uh, with your strategies. That's why it's so wonderful to have you on, on the show to, to talk about this. You did, uh, I want to talk quickly just about, Uh, the Nightingale Housing Case Study. Can you tell us a little bit about that one?
1: Sure. And again, Nightingale is a not-for-profit in Australia that um, tries to be innovative in what they do. And they first started their life to produce a zero-carbon home, which they did. And now the market's basically accepted that as the way to do business. But one of the principles that we created in our affordable housing model, Nightingale piloted with local government, which is it actually said to local government, we want to try and create affordable housing but affordable housing requires a subsidy. If you give us an extra density, that'll create additional land value and that additional land value becomes the subsidy for the affordable housing. So no cash required from government. So Nottingham achieved through a local government, what we call as an incorporated plan with two density outcomes. The first one is a standard which they deliver 5% affordable housing. But the increased density outcome, they said we can now afford to deliver 15% affordable housing, and it doesn't affect the feasibility of the overall project. So we've now created working collaboratively with local government by them increasing the density of the project to create additional land value for the development, which then becomes a subsidy for the affordable housing. So we call it the Progressive Residential Affordable Affordability Development Solution, but in short, it's called PRADS, which happens to be my son's nickname, um, given my daughter was actually part of the um, the Startup Housing All-Australian. So, and I think that, working with local government, will create...
0: A- Robert, I think people get the human side of supporting people experiencing homelessness, but you've already touched on the economic side. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I think that's the side that's often missing in the the discussions
1: around uh, ending and preventing homelessness and creating affordable housing. Yeah, yeah, sure, look, one of the things I've always thought and didn't have the answer at the time is that if 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 we're now experiencing homelessness and homelessness has an unintended consequence that spans into mental health, physical health, family violence, justice, et cetera, et cetera, I said, I wonder what the long-term costs to Australia are. So we've actually, um, this is part of the Give Me Shelter series. And this is all online on our website, housingallaustralians.org.au. But we said to the economists, work out the long-term cost to Australia if we don't provide the housing our country needs. And we took a 30-year infrastructure view because I think we should reclassify this, not as housing, but as economic infrastructure for a prosperous country. And they did the numbers. And the numbers said if we let the government continue doing effectively nothing, by 2032, the additional cost to Australian taxpayers in today dollars is an extra 25 billion per annum. Now that's a lot for Australia. And the cost benefit ratio, which is for every dollar we spend, how much benefit do we get back is two to one. So in other words, there's a strong economic business case to mitigate long term societal costs by investing in housing today. But the unfortunate part about all that is that we're dealing with politics. And governments in this country have three year terms for states, four year terms for federal. And unless they can actually get some votes out of it, they're not really going to pay appropriate service. In fact, a politician that I won't name, said to me, Rob, until the general public actually starts crying out for this at the voting box, we're just gonna really pay lip service to this. Which then led me to term our phrase that our objective as housing all Australians is to create respectful unrest to generate the political self-interest. And we do that by education. We're not out there, we're not activists, we just wanna educate the public to teach them about what they don't know, And if they are what I think they will be, they will say this is unacceptable and slowly the momentum will build until the political self-interest will kick in on both sides of politics to change long-term policy outcomes. Because that's the only way I think we're going to get true change.
0: I agreed. And you know what? We have the same challenge in Canada. Sometimes it's four to five years, but still, but you've seen governments like Finland, it can be done over the course of 20 odd years where they've had multiple different governments in from the left, in the right, in the center. They've still maintained. And once you get government on board with that, what I think, was it respectful unrest? Respectful unrest.
1: Respectful unrest. Yeah.
0: So once that starts happening, I think it makes, you know, this is a priority. And we see that right now where we've got uh, a liberal kind of a center party saying, you know, talking about housing. We also have a group from the right that now is high in the polls for the next election saying housing will be the top priority for them. So it's good to see that pushing through. Rob, we've Robert, we've learned so much from you uh, during this podcast. I think we are more alike than we are different. If, uh, if... We want to learn more. We want to go check out some of the films, some of the case studies, some of the things you touched on the website. Can you tell us again? And where else can we find out more information?
1: Sure, sure. The website's Um and There you'll see a few of our reports are on there. The movie's not on there at the moment because that's still caught up with the producers. Um, but if anyone wants to send an email to info at housingallaustralians.org.au, We'll get back to you because we're happy to share what we are doing and how we are doing it. Because again, through collaboration globally, we can perhaps make a bit of a dent and help in homelessness in the world in the longer term because that ain't going to happen overnight.
0: Well, there's a ter- there's a saying, Rob, if it's going to be, it's up to me. You took that to heart. Thank you so much. We're grateful you have. And I'm sure many people are going to be reaching out. Uh, thank you so much for your time and talent and for joining the show today. We'll see you next time on the way home.
1: It is an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Michael.
0: I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer.